Welcome, Legionaries, to episode 22 of Legion Cast, Hobby Roundtable number 9. We've got a big episode planned today. We're going to be talking about the new Siege of Chthonia book. We'll be breaking it down into four parts, covering the different aspects of the book. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Brandon, Paul, and Maniple. We're still waiting on Maniple to show up. Go ahead and sound off, boys. Hello, Legion brothers, Legion sisters, and often forgotten, but never by me, Legiones and Ducti. Welcome to Legion Cast. Really excited to be here today. Paul, how you doing today? Yeah, doing good, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, excited to see uh, what's in this new book. Right, we're going to be breaking it down in a couple different parts. I will be handling the new core missions. Brandon's going to be talking about Inductee. Uh, Paul here is going to be talking about the Zone Mortalis. And when my brother Paul gets here, brother Maniple gets here, he will be talking about the Onslaught campaign. So uh, we wanted to go ahead and get Paul's segment out of the way first because he will. We're recording at a weird time this week, and this episode might go up late. So apologies for that. But uh, Paul, why don't you go ahead and take it away and let us know what Zone Mortalis is all about? Zone Mortalis definitely looks pretty interesting. Um, it's designed, at least it feels like it's designed for more casual play than competitive play. I've noticed a lot of the like rule sections come with the addendum of like, oh, both players should agree on whether or not you want to use this rule or things should be considered flexible or determined determined before game. I think generally speaking, uh, yeah, so designed more for casual play. So we'll kind of just briefly run over the sort of like recommended rules and we'll kind of move on from there. So the general idea of a zone mortalis is you're looking at roughly 1,500, 2,500 point games played on a 4x4, four four, um, pretty heavy terrain, and a four-turn game set that can go up to game six depending on scenario and roles. So kind of designed to be a pretty small, fast and loose kind of game on a small table. Overall, most of the stuff is going to be similar to the standard game. Um, there are a few differences that are worth pointing out. I think the big one is uh, the way line of sight works in Zone Mortalis is pretty different from, from the standard game. A lot of the terrain, like the walls and doors when they're closed, block all line of sight. Um as well as uh, not just line of sight, but as but the like range of like abilities and things. You can't like have abilities and special powers and like war gear effects can't like travel through walls. You have to have direct line of sight to anything. That you- yeah, we should probably talk about why that is. Zone Mortalis, um, for those who are not aware, it's designed to be these types of games where we're in these cramped spaces. Think, you know. Your space marines are trying to take over a another capital ship. You know, this could be an orbital battle going on. Um, this could be, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but there's rules for if you want a ceiling or not, which means that you could have, like, you know, it's a trench network that you're storming. So I think it's really themey, um, and I like that they've kind of included rules, and it's really designed around just, hey, have a fun game with you and your opponent. Yeah, so speaking of, like, the ceilings and stuff... Um... Basically how Zone Mortalis is supposed to play out is uh, once you've gotten your you know armies together and you meet at the table, 
before you start the game, they actually brought back the old system of terrain placement, which is players alternate going back and forth, putting down terrain on the table. And there's actually some pretty extensive rules in here on like how terrain is to be placed and how many, you know, wall sections per 12 inch square are going to be on the table, which means that the tables will be fairly varied. And there's a whole section of strategy on, you know, how to place walls to your advantage and where to, you know, designate access points and that sort of thing. You'll also be at this point determining whether or not you're going to have a ceiling or not. Um, basically the way ceilings work is if you decide you're playing with ceilings, then the height of any walls you have is the height of the map. So you can't have people like vaulting over the walls. Um, it'll also hamper like the travel distance of uh, scattering templates and also, you know, again, hampering line of sight and uh, that sort of thing. So you designate access points, which is basically Zone Mortalis's version of deployment zones. Then you determine strategic advantage, which is just who has first turn. You place objectives if the scenario calls for it. Um, and this is one of the other major differences here is after that, you're going to calculate reinforcement points. Um, so zone mortalis doesn't do a standard deployment where you put everything on the table. Instead, you will get a set amount of reinforcement points at the start of the game. Um, and you will also then accumulate points every end phase. Um, these points can vary depending on scenario and what you guys decide on. But in the book, it recommends starting with six and gaining two at every end phase. Um, and there's a chart in here that sort of designates the cost of units to come onto the table. So, for example, a standard troop slot costs one reinforcement point all the way up to eight points for a Primarch. Um, so if you ever want anything to enter on the table at the start of the movement phase, you have to pay the reinforcement points cost to actually bring them on physically. So the way I understand it, you'll have a pool of reinforcement points and that'll be used to even do stuff like opening doors and interacting with different pieces of terrain. So if you want to bring on, uh, if you want to deep strike a unit in or bring something in from reserves, you have to weigh that against how you can interact with the rest of the terrain. Right. Yeah. So there will be things you can do depending on scenario that will gain you extra reinforcement points. Um, and then there will be a list of things, sort of reinforcement and list dependent on what you can do with those points. Um, uh, an example would be if you have a character with a retinue, the retinue doesn't cost any additional reinforcement points. Um, so that's a really easy way to sort of cheat some points in is to run retinues with characters as opposed to just attaching them to a unit. There's also, like you mentioned with the doors, you can spend reinforcement points to try to seize control of doors, to lock them, um, you know, to prevent your opponent from being able to use them freely, as well as, you know, a whole list of um, other things that you'll be able to do. 
I definitely think it's cool how you have this extra resource that you really have to manage. And it's not just, oh, you can bring this amount of stuff on the board. Because, you know, we talked about it. If you play a 3,000-point zone Mortalis game, not necessarily your entire army is going to hit the board in that game, uh, which I think is really cool. You know, it kind of you know shows that maybe part of your force is engaged in another area and not able to support where you are right now. Um, again, I just I love the theme of this system. Yeah, it adds a whole other layer of strategy to it. It almost makes it where you're running your list, and if you know the type of scenario and reinforcement points you're going to be playing, rather than build a cohesive list, you're almost building like a sideboard like you would in a card game, which would be you know supplementary stuff that you could swap into the deck at the moment of play to alter your play strategy. So you might have those things that you're not necessarily sure if they're going to come on the table, but if your opponent brings something, you'll be able to call on them to counter if you need it. Yeah, a little tactical flexibility there. Um, beyond the reinforcement points, I would say the only other like major, major differences are the Force Org chart are going to be different for building the armies. Um, you only have two HQ slots, uh, and you only have five troop slots, although you only have one compulsory troop slot instead of two. Uh, you still have four elites. Uh, fast attack and heavy are only two slots instead of three, and you still have one Primarch slot if you uh, choose to bring one. Functionally, it's one compulsory HQ and troop, other than that, you're pretty flexible, although slots are even more limited than the standard primary detachment. Um, you still have access to rights of war and war gear and all that other stuff. It's just the, the chart itself is a little smaller. Yeah, I was really interested in the, uh, in the new Four Sword chart. Um, and I don't know if, you know, I, I assume you're going to get into the, the missions a bit as well. But, you know, while we're here on the four sword chart, based on what you've read of the missions, you know, only one compulsory troop choice is really interesting. I could bring a lot of support squads and stuff like that if I wanted to. But how important is line? Because we're going to talk a lot about line when we get to the core missions in this book. So I'd really love to see if they, they kind of kept the same philosophy here with Zone Mortalis as well. So line in Zone Mortalis definitely has a place. So the way they have it set up is you're going to be playing probably sweep and clear the most, which is area control. Yeah, so there's three main missions for Zone Mortalis. Um, basically, you roll a d6, and uh, for every two points, you can run one of the games. Um, the first one, sector control, is functionally a, a standard objective points kind of game where uh, I think it's five objective markers. No, it's actually six. So you spread six objectives over the table, which on a four by four means there's not going to be a whole lot of room not covered by objectives. You know, at a glance, it would seem like these missions would just be absolute meat grinders. But with the amount of terrain and like we talked about with the line of sight blocking doors, it at a, at a glance, it would seem like a meat grinder, but with all that intervening terrain and stuff, it really breaks up the board. So maybe they, these missions can go from feast or famine brutality wise. 
Yeah, positioning is going to be very big on this. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's got a very tactile, tactical feel. Uh, it's There's not going to be a lot of alpha striking here. It's going to be a lot of, you know, maneuvering, spending your resources wisely, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, and especially since the reinforcement points kind of mean your army is going to be coming on piecemeal, it definitely will limit the amount of uh, first-turn advantage that you're going to be seeing from a lot of players. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be... The first one is the objectives for sector control. Uh, sweep and clear is... Functionally, you're looking to have scoring units in each quadrant of um, the table to gain control of them. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, we talked about a six-objective scenario, a table quarters scenario. I mean, that's six-line, four-line. That's You're going to be needing to bring a lot of lines. So even though you only required that one compulsory troop slot, uh, you're still going to need to, you know, be making sure that you're not leaving those tactical squads at home, from what I can tell. I think despoilers are going to clean up in this rule set. Yeah, it almost does feel like the game's trying to promote MSU as well. They really want smaller point games, smaller units coming on. and uh, Well, and it, it fits the theme, right? You know, small units going through, clearing tunnels, you know, clearing corridors, trench networks. It makes sense um, that it would be at more of an MSU-type game. Um, I think that it, it it's something... You know, we really needed the White Dwarf Zone Mortalis rules. They were fine. I never really played them, but, uh, you know, having a full fleshed out system here, um, especially, you know, something to get started with for newer players as well. You know, not everybody's got a 3,000 point army right out the gate. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, the regular, you know, frontline style heresy it kind of isn't as fun until you get to 3,000 points because you have to leave all the cool stuff at home. But this gives you a, a way to get some cool, fun, themey games in while you're still building up your force. And I know, Paul, you and I are planning on hitting Zone Mortalis pretty hard um, once we can get some terrain and uh, get rolling on it. And I'm really excited for that. I, I'm looking at units that I hadn't even considered before you know like support squads with plasma repeaters um i'm looking at leaving home units that i never left home before like dreadwing interrupters oh i'm so. shocked no i'm not gonna bring them no i was being sarcastic <laughs> yeah no i i never leave home without them before but you know if this uh you know especially with the new reactions which we haven't talked about yet uh, I, I'm probably not going to bring guys like that. I'm probably not going to be bringing template weapons um, or, you know, as much heavy stuff. So I, I think it's a really cool system. Um, let's talk about the reactions and then we can probably jump into core missions uh, from there. But uh, overall, good, good summary of the system, Paul. Yeah, so that is kind of the last thing. Well, there's one other thing, but. Yeah, so like Brandon said, there are a, a different set of reactions for Zone Mortalis. Um, the rules specify that you actually can't use the standard reactions from uh, the base game as laid out in the Age of Darkness book. Instead, 
we have a set of reactions for zone mortalis specifically. In the movement phase, you have a suppress reaction. Uh, functionally, this is if a enemy unit ends within 12 inches and in line of sight of a friendly unit, you can call this reaction. Um, basically, it is that unit can immediately fire on the enemy unit, but it can only be snapshots. Um, and all shots that go through have the pinning special rule. So you get to shoot in the movement phase, sit, hitting on sixes only, and uh, pinning, which can be pretty nasty. It's going to be causing a lot of people to uh, lose out on a shooting and charge phase, potentially, depending on the type of stuff you lay down. And kind of like we were mentioning with the list building, not only is this going to change how people build their list, I think it's also going to get them to look at not just different units, but different weapons. Like something like this, you're looking at high volume of fire, maybe high strength weapons. I think heavy bolters would have a lot of play with this reaction, which, you know, you don't really see as much in the, the base game outside of maybe Imperial Fists who get bonuses to bolters. So that's kind of an interesting idea. For the shooting phase, you have the displace rule. So this one's actually a lot like the, the standard movement phase one where you're able to sort of bump your unit, their val initiative value in inches away or towards something. Um, the difference is this one's triggered during the shooting phase when a unit's been targeted by a shooting attack. Um, so it's kind of this sort of oh shit button where someone's trying to shoot you at close quarters and you can bump yourself, you know, potentially four inches away and that could change their ability to actually hit you, which is kind of nice. It happens before the shots are resolved. Um, so they'll have to like remeasure to see if they're still in range can get you out of rapid fire range for a lot of weapons, which will be very useful. Yeah, I don't know that you would ever use this to bump towards someone. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, the only way I would see that is if you're fairly confident you can take the hits and you just want that extra. I mean, that's four extra inches towards a charge. So if you really want to nail a charge and you're okay with taking the wounds, then you just go forward, but... I would say bumping away to save yourself from some shots is probably the more likely reaction we're going to see from this. Definitely. Uh, and the last one's going to be the brace reaction for the assault phase. Uh, so the way brace works, it's after an enemy declares a charge, but before they've resolved any charge rolls, you can choose to brace against it. Um... So when you're bracing, you make a morale check. If you fail the check, the unit falls back D6 and automatically regroups. Oh, sorry. And automatically regroups when this fallback move is completed one inch from the battlefield edge. So they can't run off the table this way. Um, if the check is successful, then the reacting unit automatically passes any morale checks they are going to be required to make as a result of losing an assault during the fight subphase. So if you lose, you run away, make their charge harder. If you pass, then you'll just auto pass any morale checks, which 
can be useful, although it does specifically say you only pass any morale checks you have to take if you lost the fight. So I suppose it's a good way to save, you know, some of your smaller units, your uh, induct eye or your tactical marine, something that's going to kind of get pushed around a little bit. Um, this will sort of be a safety net to make sure that you don't lose the unit completely and they stick in the fight for a little longer. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. Um, I, I actually like this better than, uh, than Hold the Line uh, because, you know, as we've talked about with you being a Sons of Horus player, Hold the Line can just absolutely hose your, your army. Uh, yeah. So it's a little bit overpowered, you know, in an unintentional way, I think. So having something like this you know, it can make your charge harder. It definitely can. Or it can make it so you can't sweep them. Um, it can also do that. But at least it's not taking away your army bonus. Right. Um, so there's less of a feels bad there to me. But yeah, I'm really excited to get this out. Uh, Warwick, do you have any thoughts overall on Zone Mortalis before we start moving on? It seems really interesting to me. I like what you said about the kind of the more slow grow, uh, like growing into your army kind of thing. It's like not dropping a few hundred dollars on... 3,000 points worth of models right away. You can get an Age of Darkness box set and have most of what you need for a 1,500-point Zone, Zone Mortalis game. You'll have all the all the troops that you need for it, and that uh, that's really cool. I think it's a, a really interesting rule set to be adding right now, or to be... I guess we've, we've had rules similar to this, but this is kind of the whole rework all in one place. They're not just coming out in White Dwarves, but this is a really good time, I think, in, in the state of the game to be releasing the Stone Mortalis. It's kind of that fresh hit that we've all kind of been looking for. So I'm really looking forward to getting some of these games, and it seems really interesting to me. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, try it out. We'll have to get Brandon over here, and we'll play on the 4x4 four four and see what we can come up with. And uh, we're not going to get too into it, but just to mention, along with the standard game, there's also... Uh, rules for a Chthonian specific um, campaign. It has rules for that, as well as special Chthonian specific terrain. And it comes with two additional missions specifically for this. Uh, one is a Trader Mechanicus versus Loyalist Astartes. And the second one calls out specifically Loyalist Thousand Sons versus Trader Word Bearers. Um, so I guess if you're Thousand Sons or Word Bearers, there's a fun mission specifically for you guys to play through. Um, and you know, these rules, they specifically call it out for the campaign, but if you want to try these missions and you don't have those factions, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. But yeah, that's, uh, Zone Mortalis, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for breaking that down for us there, Paul. Next, I think we're going to jump into some core missions talk led by our very own, unfortunately, Warwick. But first, um, did you guys happen to hear that beeping on our I, Vox? Because we got an email. I heard a little bit of beeping. I like yeah. I like getting Vox mail. It's going to be great. All right. If you, uh, you want to email the show, we will re- read it on air. Um, just like our friend Wilfred Wilkinson did. Um, so he said, gents... Just started listening a few weeks ago and definitely a fan of the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm only up to Fulgrim so far. Got some catching up to do on the reading front. I 
really enjoyed the recent hobby roundtable episode and thought I'd throw this out there or when it came to y'all's new new Primark discussion. I think the other option that is worth consideration is actually Jagatai Khan mounted on a jet bike. The reason I say this, besides the fact that I am completely biased as a White Scars player in 30k, is that the Liber Astartes contains rules for him to be mounted on a jet bike, but no model exists. The only the Primark that has gotten a second 30k model so far is Horus, and to my knowledge, he is the only other Primark that has two different profiles in the Liber Hastardes and the Liber Hereticus. I actually think you're wrong there. I think Lorgar Ascended also has rules. I'll double check that in a second. Um, anyway, I hope this furs up, stirs up further discussion, and in the meantime, keep up the good work. Best, Will. Well, thank you, Will, for your email. Um, we do appreciate it. I would fucking love the con on jet bike. That would just make my day. Absolutely. And to be clear, you're not biased as a white scars player. You're based as a white scars player. So I think your head and your heart are all in the right place. So I'm a big fan of this and I would love to see it. So I'm really looking forward to see what happens. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it would be awesome. Um, yeah, I, was I, say, I forgot completely about the jet bike profile for the con. The fact that the con doesn't already have a jet bike model is a travesty. Why? Why do they always make white scars characters without bikes? You know, we want the bike. Give me the bike. Give me that sweet Trigorian goodness. Let me have that charge. Yeah, and, you know, the Khan already has an awesome model, so to see him, like, tear an ass on a jet bike all over the place would be just so freaking... Let's get fu- let's get fun with it. Give me a model, or give me a, the Khan on a jet bike, give me those rules, and then give me rules for him getting dismounted. Let's go straight Lord of the Rings in here, and I want rules for if he gets knocked off his jet bike, because that would just be awesome. I'd play that game. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, thank you again, Will, for the email. And if any of you other listeners out there would like to email us, it's legioncast18 at gmail.com. We'll plug it again at the end of the show. Um, But let's, uh, in the meantime, get to the new core missions, something I am very excited about. Well, hell yeah, I've been excited for this too. And I did, uh, I've been looking these over and I think some of them seem a little bit bland at a glance, and some of them seem like they would be a total meat grinder and a blast to play. So the first core mission, and I noticed something kind of scurry about this right before we uh, started recording, is that all of these core missions allow for uh, secondary objectives, which is fine because the, the core rulebook has the secondary objectives as well. What I noticed was in the core rulebook, the secondary objectives are listed inside the mission profile as part of the mission itself. In the Chthonia book, they're not listed as part of the mission profile, which is fine. But for the life of me, and maybe I'm wrong, somebody can email the show, I could not find where you pick or insert the secondary objectives. Do either of you have any insight on that? Brandon, I think you and I talked before the show. Paul, did you see anything about that? Um, yeah, Zone Mortalis has them as well. 
if I remember right for the Zone Mortalis stuff, it specifically stated that you pick it after you roll the scenario, but before you start putting terrain down. Interesting. I'll have to reread the intro to this after the show, but our first mission is Crucible of War, and it is going to be a fight over three separate objective markers. So after the board is set up, but before you deploy, you each take turns, uh, starting with the uh, player with a strategic advantage, start laying out these three objectives, and then you can score a victory point for every marker that you control. And, you know, it's a pretty standard grab the objective, sit on it, try to keep your enemy off of it so you can cap points. And with that in consideration and whatever secondary objectives you wind up with, you know, whoever has the most VP at the end of the game wins. Uh, that That's fine. That's a pretty middle-of-the-road one for me. I'm not super turned on by it. It's just, um, like I said, a kind of a get-in-there-and-hold-your-objectives kind of mission. The second one, the heart of battle, was a little more interesting to me. So it's a single objective marker in the middle of the board, and you get three victory points if you control it. But the this is one of those big meat grinders where you're just going to be pouring a line into the center of the board, uh, you know, or trying to get somebody there as quick as you can, and trying to cap those points, but you know, it, you know, you can get a line unit in there and it's not going to matter when some douche wing interrupters come in and just torch you off of it. So then you're going to have to throw in some terminators or some, uh, another elite unit to, to try and get, you know, the enemy's beef out of the middle of the board. But, uh, it's, I can see that one being very brutal and, you know, the heart of battle mission really appeals to me more. Yeah, see, that's funny because it's the exact opposite for me. I think that the the first mission is much more interesting because it's not just a mashup in the middle of the board. Um, I think a lot of games end up boiling down into that anyway. Um, you know, you're thinking a lot of, you know, throwing, you know, having something get thrown in there, it get killed, something else gets thrown in. My problem is, you know, what if that thing that gets thrown in first is a Primarch? And then the entire battle now just becomes okay, I've got my Primarch up here, you've got your Primarch up here, we're going to roll it out for four turns, and then, you know, last one standing wins, and some other stuff is going to move around on the board, but it really doesn't actually matter all that much. That's a, that's a fair assessment. Now, the second one is Sudden Strike, and this one is pretty interesting to me, because we have six objectives across the board. And you can't score until you cannot claim an objective. So you have to get to an objective and claim it. And then once you cap that victory point, the objective goes away. So you can only score a objective once. So if the enemy beats you to it, you have to devote your resources elsewhere or try to tie up that scoring unit on the other end of the board while one of yours gets to the other. The thing about it is you can't score on turn one. It's only on turn two and up. And that that's kind of interesting because even if you get there first, you run the risk of immediately losing out on it at the top of the next turn, I, I would think. I think that really just prevents things like recon squads infiltrating on top of the objectives, burning them all turn one, and then the game's over. So yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a good rule overall. I, I agree. I, I like the, the, the sound of it. It's going to 
going to make that first turn kind of crucial. And you're going to be tense sitting on that objective, hoping you can score it the next turn, not knowing if something's going to get deep struck or infiltrated in right next to you. So that's pretty interesting to me. I, I really like uh, Sudden Strike. That's pretty cool. Take and Hold is uh, Core Mission 4. And there are two objectives. Let's see here. So the interesting part about Take and Hold is you have to take the... There are two objectives, and you place the objective in your enemy's deployment zone. So your enemy will be holding one objective while you try to hold your own while also taking theirs. So it's a defensive-offensive game across the, the deployment zones, which I think is pretty interesting. The interesting part about it is, is that you get one VP for capping one, or three VP if you're capping both. So that can be, uh, that can be uh, uh, you know, just one turn of that can put you in the lead by quite a bit. So that is uh, pretty interesting. Take and hold seems like a fun mission to me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's something that you could, you know, if you're not careful with your play, you can let your opponent run away with it really fast. Uh, so a lot of thought, you know, it goes in that there. Right. Now, the last one is pretty interesting to me. It's Strike and Fade, where the objective is again placed in the middle of the board, but it is scattered D6 plus 6 inches every turn. Okay, unpopular opinion here. I love moving objective games. Yeah, they same, are so fun to me. Same here. And it's going to, like what Brandon talked about for Heart of the Battle, it's just going to be a scrum in the middle of the board the entire game. What's more interesting is is that Strike and Fade will force you to reevaluate that and maybe not commit your line all at once or, you know, even your your heavy hitters, your, you know, Invictaris or your, your Terminators or whatever. So... It'll be really interesting to see the, the random element of the game is going to force players to reevaluate their strategy every turn. So that is pretty interesting to me. And overall, I think a lot of these core missions are, are great ads. I like all of them. Uh, I, I think the, the only one, that first one is the only one that's a little bland for me, the Crucible of War. But all of them, I think, are fun. I like the objective-based games. Um, like uh, the core mission, the Blood Feud, is just about killing models. you got to kill specific models. But, um, like, you're already... To me, you're already fighting a battle, so you're going to have casualties. You're going to cause casualties. The more important thing about the objective-driven games are trying to, like, hold on to or have survivability with you know, you're, you're scoring units. So it's just really interesting to me. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some of these new games. in. what did you, what did you guys think overall? Um, I definitely noticed the double down on objectives, uh, which means a double down online. You know, I, in a lot of my lists had really only been running my base two tactical squads and that's it. That has, I have completely had to go back to the drawing board, looking at these missions uh, because of that. I really am excited to see how they go. It's it's the breath, breath of fresh air that the game needs at this point. Um, we didn't talk about it as well, but they also cut down the number of deployments types that you can have. Basically, they cut out the bad ones, In from what I could tell. There's no more ambush, which is a dumb deployment anyway. So I, I like that. It's, it's good. Um, I'm sure we'll play these... 
uh, for quite a while. And then once they start to get a little bit stale, we can go back to the core mission ones. Um, and Or if we really want to mix it up, we can roll a D12 and pick you know off of both tables. So it's, like I said, it's a breath of fresh air that I think the game needed. Um, and I'm really excited to try these out. Right. So the to be clear, the three deployments that we have in this book are Hammer and Anvil, Dawn of War, and Search and Destroy, which I think are all great deployment maps. So, uh, yeah, I think it, like, uh, this, I'm really liking this book. It's adding a ton to the game that we've, like, I wasn't really aware that we were hungry for, but the more I get into this book, the more I realize that, like, this is what the game needs right now. So this, I think this is a great add to the current edition. Paul, anything to add? Yeah, um, just uh, excited to try them out. It does look like it's trying to promote a more mobile version of the game. Not a lot of uh, static gun lines in these where objectives are disappearing or moving. So you're going to have to be a bit more uh, run and gun and on the move with it. Might see transports get some play. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how, how it goes. Run and gun and on the move. Your sons of Horus are rejoicing. <laughs> yeah, finally. Meanwhile, my Dark Angel's gun line is like, we're going to have to do stuff. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we should probably take a little bit of a break there. And then when we come back, we can jump into the new campaign system, as well as talk about some inducti. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a good break. I know we did. Uh, we unfortunately had to say farewell to our co-host, Paul, as he had to go to work. You know, the whole uh, big sad idea that we all have to have a job. Real quick, before we get any further, Warwick, you had a shout out that you wanted to make. Um, and let's let's do that before we continue here. Yeah, the legendary artist john blanche has officially retired from games workshop and he's done some pretty incredible artwork and uh he's been there forever so to see somebody that has been so influential on the the lore the art the hobby uh just want to wish him a very happy retirement and um as he rides off into the sunset and farewell yeah, I think it's it's worth noting that many people got their start in Warhammer in 40K because they saw some of his artwork somewhere. You might see it on a poster or a book cover. And he had a lot of different influences over the years. In particular, if you look at old Renaissance paintings of large battles, he took some inspiration from those large uh, battlescapes. And if you see like a, a, big, a big painting of a 40K battle or a bunch of people arrayed and all their armor and panoply, that's where this this comes from. And also, um, you know, people that were a little more on the weird side, if you, a weird artist, he's he's made some odd-looking stuff that makes you look twice. And every time I go back to look at some of his stuff, I find something new. It just keeps inspiring even years after he's created something. So a testament uh, to, the, to the hobby, inspiration for many. Well done, sir. Yep, definitely. Uh, some very, very iconic art. Uh, will be missed, but uh, congratulations on a wonderful career. 
this is also a good time to mention that during the break, uh, our other co-host Manipole joined us. So we dumped Paul and uh, grabbed Manipole. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again. Looking forward to talking about this book. Uh, I'm still waiting for mine in the mail, but I got a chance to look at a little preview of it. Looks pretty great. Yeah. So without further ado, let's jump into kind of our next section here. And we are going to talk about uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about for this book, even though I've said I've been excited for basically every part of it, uh, but this is the Legiones Inducti. Now, are you guys familiar with what the Inducti are? I am not. Please enlighten me. Yes, give us some knowledge. So as we know, the the Horus Heresy is this galaxy-spanning conflict of epic proportions that has never been seen before and nor will ever be seen again and as these astartes legions are fighting through the galaxy fighting each other brother against brother they need reinforcements but the process for making a legiones astartes is very long and very arduous this is actually something it's kind of interesting we talked about with uh with luther on caliban that he's one of the fastest people to get this training regimen down. And it takes him two years from start to finish to make an Astartes. Now we know that the Horus heresy only lasts seven years and they're just taking mythic level casualties. So what each Legion does to, to combat this attrition rate is they all come up with different ways to kind of fast track the system to create Astartes. And these guys are, not really enmeshed in the culture of the Legion. They're kind of pumped full of organs. Some of them are given some like hypno indoctrination, uh, depending on, you know, where they're coming from and what Legion they're going to. And then they're kind of handed a bolter or some other weapon and said, get out there and fight for the emperor or for Horus. Um, and I think that this, uh, these rule sets for these guys really represent that very well. So what we have here is, it's not a new unit. It's very interesting how they, they chose to go about this. And what this is, and I think this is the first time I've ever seen something like this. It is a inducti template. So what this does is you take, uh, you take either a tactical squad or a despoiler squad, depending on your legion. It will tell you which. And you give it the inducti subtype, which does a few different things for you. You cannot be joined by characters of any kind. So apothecaries, leave them at home. Praetors, they aren't hanging out with these guys. No uh, no additional attached characters at all, only more inducti. The other thing is that you cannot take artificer armor on your sergeant. These guys didn't have time to refine their armor. Their legions didn't give them their best stuff. They got thrown in the nearest set of power armor that was available and shipped out to the front line. Uh, so I think that represents it very well. So these guys are legionaries in name only. I mean, they are still full Astartes. Like, they are. Um, but they, they just kind of exist separately from your normal legionary. I think there's a little description in there about how their indoctrination has worked. And in some cases, it's very done very quickly. Mm-hmm. So fluff-wise, they might not have the same levels of hypno-indoctrination and loyalty the other ones uh, that have gone through a fuller process might have. So it seems a little on the risky side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the last rule that these guys get is uh, 
they gain the support squad special rule. You guys are already familiar with the support squad. They can't be a compulsory troop. Notably, though, because these guys are taking a... there It's a template that you're laying over either a tactical squad or a despoiler squad, unless it specifically says they don't lose line. And I think all of them keep line, which is makes them very interesting to fill out as cheap extra line. You know, we talked about with Zone Mortalis and with the core missions... You're going to be needing more line anyway. This is a good fluffy way to say, hey, I need more troops on the battlefield. These are my guys. So um, I'm going to jump in here and, you know, they have an inducti template, one for every legion. I'm just going to pick out a couple. Um, and if you guys, as we're going through, see a couple that you're interested in and want to talk about, let's well, do that. I would say since they're short, why don't we just go through quickly all of them? That's I think we can probably hit all of them. Okay. We can try lightning around all of them. We'll just start from the tar- top here with uh, with my boys, the first Legion, the Dark Angels. So this is a Legion tactical squad. Uh, they don't really change anything other than they lose um, Fury of the Legion. They can't take their Hexagrammaton, which is a big loss for them, honestly. Um, and instead of taking bolt guns, they all have Volkite chargers. Kind of interesting, you know, the Dark Angels are known for having tons of forbidden technology in their vaults. So they fast-tracked some guys to become legionaries, threw them a kind of powered-up gun, and said, get out there. Yeah, I think that's interesting, especially since you've got them as line troops, not too expensive. You've got a big gun on them. In the right situation, that could be pretty cool. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. You've got a support squad that has line so that's really interesting yeah the interesting thing about these guys is if you were to take a tactical support squad with volkite chargers they're actually 45 points more than just taking these guys so my one real question here is with uh with dark angels i wasn't exactly chewing at the bit to take a support 10-man support squad with volkite chargers anyway but having line you know, I think that there's potentially a place for them there. So let's let's jump number three, one that I really like and I think is really cool: the Emperor's Children uh, in Duck Die. Emperor's Children in Duck Die is uh, they're a despoiler squad, um, but every model in the unit can take a charnable weapon for five points. They lose Heart of the Legion, but they gain Perfection Embodied which means in the shooting phase, they always count as leadership 10 for purposes of any shooting uh, test that they would have to make, like for casualties or for pinning. Uh, It specifically denotes not for psychic checks, but I don't know how you'd get a psyker in these guys anyway, uh, because they can't have anybody join them. The downside of that is if they tie in a fight in the assault phase, they count as having lost by one. Now, one thing that I think is interesting here is I think you can actually counteract this with a Vexilla because there's nothing in here that says you can't take a Vexilla. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure how that's supposed to interact with each other. But having 10 guys for 150 points with charnable weapons, which all have breaching five up, that's really good. That's really good. And who can't really, it's going to be hard to pin them or make them fall back as well. Mm-hmm. And they have line. And that, that's on the spoiler squads only, but yes, yeah, right, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, next up, we have the Iron Warriors uh, in Ducti. These guys are a tactical squad. They don't really change anything on them, except they become inductee, obviously. Uh, but then they take the Souls of Iron rule. And what this does is that uh, they must target the closest enemy unit uh, that they can shoot at. They can only target the closest enemy unit, but they're immune to pinning. I think that's pretty good. All right. Yep. Hard to move. Yep. Um, I can take the White Scars here. Yeah, this is a big one. So go ahead. Okay. So the White Scars, theirs goes on a Legion Despoiler Squad. All models and unit modified by the White Scars Legion Inductee template gain the Inductee Unit subtype, but they cannot have their power weapon upgraded to a power glaive. So there's uh, the, the the sergeant would not get the glaive. His special rule replaces Heart of the Legion with Proof of Valor. And I'll read it. When a model with this special rule suffers an unsaved wound during the fight subphase while locked in combat with at least one enemy unit whose majority weapon skill is five or more, it can make a special proof of valor roll to avoid suffering the wound. Now, how common is a weapon skill five? Pretty common. Very common. These guys are one of probably the best inducti in the book uh, because when we get to the rest of that rule. So you roll a d6 each time an unsaved wound is suffered. On a result of five up, the unsaved wound is discounted, treated as having been saved. This is a damage mitigation roll. Any model may make only a single damage mitigation roll of any type. So no other feel no pain type stuff. This is the only one you get. Now, if one or more wounds is discounted due to the special rule and the unit that benefited from this special rule has not been entirely removed as casualties or forced to fall back, then at the end of the fight subphase, the unit is said to have proved their valor. At the end of the battle, if any units from a player's army proved their valor, that player scores an additional victory point. Pretty nice. I think that this is really cool. And one of the coolest things about this is that damage mitigation roll. Now, Feel No Pain specifically says it's negated by anything that causes instant death. This does not, which means you can charge a weapon skill 5 elite set of Terminators with Thunder Hammers. You get those damage mitigation rolls. I think I think that's just wild. I think that's super cool. It's, it's very yeah. fluffy. These guys are trying to prove themselves to the con. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. earn that bike. Really cool. Uh, why don't you take Imperial Fists? Because I actually I really like this Space Wolves one, uh, so I want to talk about it a bit here. Uh, these guys are Blood Claws. These are old school 40k Blood Claws, and they're also kind of World Eaters at the same time because these guys they don't get a Sergeant; they just get another Legionary, so no Sergeants at all. They can replace all their bolt pistols with combat shields, which I think would be a mistake in this situation. Um, and then also for one point, they can swap their chain swords for chain axes. Now, what makes these guys cool is that they can, de- when they declare a charge, they can say it will be a headstrong charge, which allows them to add two to any charge. Now, combine this. Think about this. Take a 20-band block of these guys. Give them all chain axes. 220 points right there. Do you guys know what the Space Wolves Legion ability is? It's run and charge. Right. Yeah. <laughs> These right. guys are just going to get 
sent up the board. They're in your face on turn one, and there's nothing you can do to stop that. They are so cool. Now, I don't think you take the combat shields. I think you keep the bolt pistols, because if you need that extra two, you're going to be losing your bonus attack for charging. Um, but then you get it back with the pistol. So I I, I think that's better than a six-up invulnerable save, but that's just me. What do you guys think? I think it's it's really fluffy, and I, I like the I like that idea. It looks cool. I I wouldn't take the shields. I would take the pistols because the yeah the the pistols make more sense to me. They're mm-hmm. a six up invulnerable save's not gonna. I I don't think it's. I would rather have. You're swapping ones. a a six up invulnerable save for another attack with a chain axe. Yeah, I think exactly. You take that attack. Yeah, I would agree. And are, you're limited to unit size fifteen with these inductee. Is that correct? No, uh, unless it specifically says you're limited on the unit size, you are not. Okay. Right, so getting into Imperial Fists, that'll come into effect, because the Imperial Fists inductee are a tactical squad that for every 10 models in the unit, one of them can swap out their bolter for either a heavy bolter or an autocannon. And their special rule is that they get supporting fire. So once per game these inductee squads with their heavy weapons can gain the pinning special rule. So your heavy bolt or your autocannons are now uh, gain the pinning special rule, so that's kind of neat. So you're, you're getting kind of a, um, I don't want to say a 40k tactical squad, well, kind of a 40k tactical squad, but you're getting two heavy weapons at 20. Or at a 20-man block, but in a 10-man block, you're getting one, one heavy weapon. I think it's worth it to take the 20. So... That's kind of in uh, Imperial Fists get bonuses to bolters, right? I'm not super yeah. familiar with them. Yeah, they get plus one to hit with bolters. Um, I think these guys are really good getting pinning. I mean, you can take up to yeah. four of these guys. You know, you can take up to four squads of these, and technically you can bring them up to 20. So you can get two auto cannons or heavy bolters right, per right. squad. Now, that's a lot of points, but for a once per game pinning shot with an auto cannon, yeah, not it, bad. You know, that's, I think that's pretty worth it. Um, I hate these guys. They suck. <laughs> All yeah, right. That's going to be a lot of firepower. That'd be cool. Okay. Now it's time for the best one in the book. And this is the Night Lords. This is by and far my favorite one. It's, uh, it's really funny, too. I, it's, I like it. It, that's what makes it so great. Uh, so this is a Legion Despoiler squad. And they have to swap their chain swords for Killer's Blades. Killer's Blades are strength user, AP nothing. Melee breaching six up. So on six is a wound, you're getting AP two. Pretty good. They've got they've got prison shivs, boys. Yes. I mean that's their theme, is these guys have been dumped out of the prisons of Nostromo, thrown full of organs and given some shivs and said, Go fight for Comrade? Go I to the heresy. Yeah. Um their special rule is uh that they swap heart of the legion for is unscrupulous murderers and what this is is when you get into a fight with these guys you and you do a challenge with your sergeant you roll a die and on a two up at initiative step 10 your guy your sergeant can have two guys come with him into the challenge and fight in the challenge on a one those two guys shiv your own sergeant in the back. Oh, that's great. It is amazing. total prison rules. It is fantastic. These are my favorite by far. Now, I have heard some people talking about how, like, 
you could swap out some power weapons and do this and stuff. You can't do that. They have to replace their chain swords, which means you can't take power weapons. You are stuck with the killer's blades. Slow your roll, Night Roll Night Lords players. They're already cool enough. <laughs> well, and interestingly, if if that sneak attack by his two buddies kills the guy you challenged, your sergeant can still attack in, yeah, in the regular phase. And he can still fight. Yeah. That uh, is that is hilarious. I love that. I love it so much. It's fantastic. You think about that, and then you add into the Night Lords, uh, their Legion rule, which is that if they outnumber you, they get plus one to wound. It's it's pretty spicy. Uh, Manipul, you want to you want to talk us through Blood Angels here? Yeah, it's it's pretty simple. They uh, put this on a despoiler squad. No big modifications except. They replace the spite of the Legion special rule with the Revenant Legion special rule. If they, so as long as they do not make a sweeping, they can't make sweeping advances. In addition, if that unit that includes any models with this special rule wins a combat and all enemy units that was locked in combat with fall back or are entirely removed as casualties, then this unit gains the fear one special rule until the end of the battle. So how good is Fear 1? Uh, I can vouch as a Dark Angels player that Fear 1 is worthless. Um, it is not very good. Unless you're playing against Militia, you're, you're probably not going to be running into Fear 1 being much of anything at all. Is that like units within a certain range or minus one leadership? That is exactly what it is. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk through Iron Hands real quick. Uh, Iron Hands is a Legion tactical squad. Uh, your sergeant can take a Phosphex bomb for 10 points, which is fun. A little Greek fire for you. And uh, then they also gain the Forbidden Augmentations instead of Fury of the Legion. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what that does is at the start of the turn, before beginning the movement phase, roll one dice for each unit that includes one or more models with this special rule. And the roll of a five plus all models gain plus one weapon skill and plus one ballistic skill. Um, however, on a roll of a one or two, they suffer D3 wounds with a value AP value of nothing uh, allocated by the unit's controlling player. I think these guys are pretty good. Um, I don't know that you necessarily take the Phosphex bomb. I'm not super great with Phosphex. I don't think I use it very well. Um, Warwick, I definitely think you do Phosphex better than I do. Love me some Phosphex. But the potential to get plus one ballistic skill and plus one weapon skill on a tactical squad, that's pretty good. Uh, the other thing is that they gain uh, the heavy subtype, so no running for them. I will say, having played enough of 40k Chaos Space Marines who have units with random sorts of things happen to them like chaos spawn or possessed you think you're going to get that that good roll and it always ends up being a one or a two right when you need it so anytime there's a random roll i get a little scared to use it i'd rather have a sure thing even though plus one is good i don't know if it's worth the risk of losing d3 guys well remember it's ap nothing so you get your three up armor against it right and don't forget that uh the heavy rule or the, the heavy special roll lets you re-roll uh, template and blast saves. So if you're oh, taking yeah. hits from flamers or blast templates, you're getting re-rolls on your saves. 
Yeah. So I, I do think solid. these guys are pretty good. Um, I'm going to run through World Eaters really quick because they're boring. Uh, and then Warwick will have you jump into your Ultra Boys. Um, World Eaters, they are a despoiler squad. Um, they replace Heart of the Legion with Ravening Madmen, which means uh, that they are hit on a weapon skill three. I don't know the rest of that rule, but being hit as a weapon skill three makes them terrible. I've got it here. If anybody is attacking them, they reduce their strength by one when determining the score required to wound. Additionally, any two hit rolls made in the assault phase targeting unit that includes one or more models with this special rule always count the majority weapon skill of the target unit as three. So they're, so they're harder easier to hit, to hit harder but to... harder to wound. Let me read that again. Because it is their it is their own weapon skill that's counted as three for purposes of hitting them. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Easier to hit, harder to, to wound. Right. Um, that rule, I think, on rampagers is really good because you could take all the like the Falx blades and stuff like that with all the AP two and all of that crap. These guys leave it at home. I'd rather have a regular despoiler squad with chain axes anyway. So I mean, that's that's just how I, I feel about that. Uh, Ultramarines. Yeah, Ultramarines are a tactical squad that for every five members in the squad, one of them can upgrade their bolter to a either a flamer, a plasma gun, or melt-a-gun. So I'm not seeing any uh, capacity reduction. So at a 20-man squad, you're getting either four plasma guns or four melt-a-guns. Probably not going to take the flamers. Uh, and they replace their Legion special, or they, sorry, they replace... They may not Fury take additional Legionnaires. They are capped at 10. Oh, shit. Okay, I missed that. Right, so you're getting two Plasma Guns or two, or two Meltas, which is fine. And they replace the Fury of the Legion rule with Inexorable, which I could not find in the core rulebook. Uh, either you know what that does off the top of your head. Inexorable? It's, uh, it's for... It's for, I believe it's for shooting. Yeah, I'm um, trying to find they, it. They're counted as leadership 10. Or, or no, they, they're basically counted as stubborn for purposes of getting shot at. Okay. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a another um, kind of a 40k tactical squad where you're getting a couple special weapons in your in your 10-man squad, so that's fine. Yeah, I'd, I'd take a couple of plasma guns or a couple of meltas in a tactical squad. So yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, I think this. I think this is really cool. Um, they have line, so yeah. packing a couple of plasma guns or melted guns into a unit with line, it, it it's you're gonna yeah, throw the, them in a rhino and you're gonna have a good old time. Having a little bit of utility there would be nice, or even popping out of that rhino with a couple of melted guns and being like surprise and mm -hmm. melting somebody's lander it would be hilarious. Yep. Um, Manipul, would you care to take Death Guard? Sure. Uh, their inductee get every for every five models in the unit, they can exchange a bolter for an alchem flamer for five points. So you could get a, up to four of these alchem flamers in there, which is interesting. And then they get Barbarin Resilience, which is a wound mitigation role. It doesn't work if there are more than 10 models in the unit, or 10 or more. But if it's less than that, they will discount it on a six up. If it's less than five models in the unit, then you save it on a five up. It just seems a little unnecessarily complex. 
It ought to just yeah. be a nice, just a plain mitigation role. Well, and this doesn't seem like this is doing anything that an apothecary wouldn't already do for you. Yeah. Except, is it, it I guess it ignores the instant death threshold? Um, would... Arborant resilience rolls may not be made against wounds that have the instant death special rule. Okay, so it's not even doing that. Right. So it's a worse, it's, I guess you don't have to pay 45 points for an apothecary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you would just do that instead, though. Yeah, so not not that exciting. Yeah. Um, Warwick, let's take uh, have you take Thousand Suns here. So it is a tactical squad. No modifications, so you're capped at 10. All models need modified a Thousand Suns Legion Decti template. Um, so they can exchange their bolters for the uh, Asphyx bolters, bolt pistols, or bolters. So they replace a Fury of the Legion with unattuned practitioners. So they're untrained psychers, basically. A model with this special rule gains the etheric guidance psychic power and may not select a mere minor arcana from the presented by the prospering arcana special Special, rule. Yeah, Yeah, sorry. So what does etheric guidance do? Um, that is one of their. I'm not super familiar. I haven't had time to look into the rules, but that is one it's, of their. This is on their. This is their special yeah. rule. It gives their right. shooting attacks breaching six up. Right. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah. Which the um, I think the Asphyx bolters function differently. Let me get my lever eradicus real quick. Okay. I think it. What, what I'm kind of seeing in some of these is that it's it's showing that shift from the pre-heresy army into what it would eventually turn into in the 40k timeline yeah particularly with like the ultramarines i mean that's a tactical squad from 40k Mm -hmm. um the inexorable even is a proto and they shall know no fear type thing and Um, you see with the iron hands they're getting their bionic implants and getting a mm -hmm. a feel no pain Uh, so the the asphyx bolters are cool because the bolt pistols are only range eight but they are they have shred. And same well with the, the bolters, they're range eighteen and they also have shred, so you're rerolling wounds. So you're fishing for sixes. Uh, if, with them. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um the what Sons mean, of Horus. What do you mean fishing for six? Oh, because yeah, they get breaching six up. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um the, well they also get uh anyway, yeah, go ahead. Uh so the the Sons of Horus and Duck Die, they are a despoiler squad. Uh, and they get uh, the Creed of... Oh, they can take Chain Axes um, for one point. And they get the Creed of Brutality special rule, which is that if they start the Assault phase within six of a friendly unit that has weapon skill five, they get Rampage one and Furious Charge one. Um, now, I was talking to Paul about this, and he said, oh, these guys are a leave at home. And I said, no, I think I think that you need to take a second look at these guys, because when we think about the Black Reaving Rite of War, the Black Reaving Rite of War is all about setting up multi-charges. Now, if you take some minimum squad Reavers and run these guys next to them, I think what happens here is you have these guys eat the Overwatch, they get their charge in, and then your Reavers get in, and then they get all the Black Reaving bonuses on your weapon skill 5 guys, these guys get the benefit of Rampage 1 and Furious Charge. So I actually think these guys are pretty good. 
Um, and I am trying to convince him to give them a whirl, but we'll see. Word bearers. I don't I, know anything about I can, these dudes. I can take that one. Okay. I think uh, a f- some time ago you guys had talked about uh, fighting a guy who was playing a word bearers army mm-hmm. and saw that their their game kept ramping up the more and more chaos got got into the into the, the battle these are their uh despoiler squads become empty vessels at the end of each game turn if you have um destroyed an enemy unit you roll a d6 for each of your units that is not corrupted and then you add one uh for certain things and on a five up your unit takes d3 wounds but then becomes corrupted and gains Furious Charge 1. So you could start off with an army that is not that corrupted. You've not paid the points for it, but they become corrupted as the game goes on. And then you start chaining more and more of your corruption together. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to talk to Martin um, about that since he plays Word Bearers. I know that one of his kind of gripes about Word Bearers is that he has to pay so many points to get those corrupted units, but they're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would wonder what he thinks of these, you know, p- not starting corrupted, but potentially gaining that um, yeah. for free, really. Um, and I mean, it's the word bearers. I know they have no problem sacrificing their own people. So very themey mm-hmm. for them as well. Right. Uh, Salamanders. These guys, I think, are pretty interesting. I think this one also captures the theme of the Legion very well. They replace their sergeant with a regular Legionary, but they get weapon skill five. And the idea here being that uh, they don't just throw their inducti out there. They actually put a Legion veteran with them to lead them and try and get them through. Um, They can also, for one in every ten models, can take a Dragon's Breath Flamer or a Melt-A-Gun. And the controlling player of any models in this unit uh, re-rolls hit rolls of ones for attacks made with a melee weapon. I think these guys are cool. I like them. Weapon skill five on your sergeant on a regular squad is pretty freaking sweet. Oh, and they are to spoilers as well. Okay. Uh, Raven guard. These replace tactical squads. They get if, a move. If yeah, if, so if, if they, they fail, if they fail a pinning check, they move seven inches directly away. Yeah, and they're not pinned. So that's they, awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's that's fantastic. And even if they come into contact with the edge of the board, they just stop. You can't actually run them off the edge of the board. Fantastic. Yep. All right. Manipul. Last one here. Alpha Legion. Yep. This goes in a tactical squad and they get the treacherous lure. They, a unit made up entirely of models with this special rule may not be selected as the target of a shooting attack in any phase of the first game turn of the battle. However, they may be targeted as part of an interceptor advanced reaction that may otherwise suffer things. So they, you got this lure that can move up and, and is effectively untargeted, untargetable, and they can screen stuff behind them, I guess is how you'd use it, or get them you know, further up the field and just standing there in the middle of, middle of the field. Uh, yeah, and, and do an alpha strike in your turn. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, I actually like the, the artwork for these guys. They... All the Alpha Legion did is they just took them, painted their armor into a different Legion's color, and then threw them out onto the battlefield. Um, <laughs> so the artwork in the book is an out is a guy in Thousand Suns armor, but with Hydras all over him. <laughs> so That's I uh, 
I, I like it. So that, uh, that kind of talks about that's, that's all of them. Um, we, we spent a long time walking through the rules here. I want to really quickly jump through. How would you guys hobby these guys? Um, because they're, they're kind of different from your regular legionnaires. They're not really a this part of the legion. They're not a part of the culture. They're, they're separate in their own way. So I'll, I, I want to know what, what do you do to make them stand out on the tabletop for you guys? I think the easy thing would be just to put them in Mark six because they, you know, they're getting it fresh off the line. Maybe just put a single marking on it, keep the color scheme very, very simple, but that seems a little boring. Um, I, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it that much. What do you think work? Yeah. It's not like you want to dress them up too much because they haven't really proven themselves, so to speak yet. They're, they're very fresh just getting into the fight, so they haven't really earned any battle honors, so you're probably not going to see a lot of purity seals or uh, uh, battle markings or anything like that. I would probably do like white stripes on the greaves for my ultramarines. Just kind of make them stand out a little bit. I That's about all I can think of, or maybe a white stripe on the helmets. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I kind of am with you guys. I, I was going very kind of base- level mark six armor was kind of my thought um you know i i like to do a lot of the custom heads um you know special helmets for for my legionaries i think you'd go the straight beak helmet these guys didn't have time to artifice their armor at all you know with my dark angels in particular i do a lot of transfers on them i'd probably tone that down i wouldn't have any in regards to the actual hexagrammaton symbol because they're not part of that it says that specifically um, the other thing that I would do, and this is more just getting into theme of my own legion, is um, I sometimes differentiate some of my squads. I wouldn't give them any of like the Deathwing heraldry, uh, you know, any of the bone armor. And I spe- very specifically, I wouldn't give them any green because these guys would not be from Caliban because Luther stopped sending those guys when the heresy broke out. So none of these inducti should be from Caliban. No green. I think the the idea you had with the Alpha Legion of having them in the enemy colors, but having the Hydra heraldry is interesting. For the Iron Hands, if I was going to do an Iron Hands army, I would probably uh, take some of my 40k bits that have the the bionic legs and hands and try to bring some of those into a a Mark VI uh, armor piece. I'm not sure how well they fit together. It'd be a lot of cutting and and modeling, but I think it, that that could be kind of cool with, because clearly they've got some uh, some bionicle modifications going on. That's why they they have that. Yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of hobby opportunity with these guys. Um, something you know that you can do a little bit different from the rest of your your legion, uh, make them stand out in a way. Um, overall. I think that the I think this is a great addition. I think these guys are really cool. Um, they they give you a little extra variety, um, and the biggest thing for me from a gameplay perspective is I think they give every single one of these gives you access to cheap line, um, which is something that I think the rest of the units that have line don't really have. Right, and I think the only one that we were kind of indifferent or didn't care for was the World Eaters one. Right, I think the rest of them are pretty good. Uh, Death Guard. Death Guard was not great. Oh, right. But I, I could see running it just to get the four flamers would be would be fun. But you could also do that, a similar effect with just running a regular support squad. You know, yeah. With, with a special weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. Well, now that we've spent probably too much time on Inducti, let's talk about the new campaign system, the Onslaught campaign system. So, Manipul, I'm going to turn it over to you there. Yeah, this does go on for several pages, but really it's, it's a very simple campaign setup. If you had listened to our Hobby Roundtable a few times ago, I went into some detail about different kinds of campaigns. This one is one of the simplest ones I've seen yet, but it's not bad. Uh, there's no map involved. There's no very little record keeping involved. It's just a matter of playing some linked battles. So they do give away their, I think it envisages this as just having a two player campaign, you and a buddy. You've got a, a and one has to be traitor, one has to be a loyalist, and that remains fixed for the campaign. So you can do a campaign. Like there's the, the one here that's later on in the book, the Chthonian campaign, or you could just play your own set of missions that you've linked together. That is not a big deal. And I'm guessing this is the start of a whole series of campaign books that I can't wait to have on my shelf all sitting together. That's going to be great when they're all there. Like um, to this day, I, I love looking at my Adeptus Titanicus books, the whole collection of them. So you arrange the teams, but they do give a, a rule there for playing with, with a whole team where you could play one verse one or two verse two, three verse three. And basically your your rank is based on who on your team has won the most games. And that's a person who will later be doing the rolling to see if the campaign ends. But you do get a campaign stratagem and you must pick four of them. These campaign stratagems must be selected from either the core stratagem list or from optional lists that is included as part of the specific campaign being played. These stratagems are used once per campaign. And because there's going to be a random number of, of games played, you probably don't want to sit on these too long. Once the time is right, just use it. And if you want to save them for a later time, it doesn't. it's not going to help you. And each individual campaign setting will have its own set of special rules. So very simply, you resolve a battle. And then the winning player makes what's called a seize the moment roll. So you've, you've got together, you've played your game, one person wins, one person loses. The winner gets to make a roll on this table. If the roll is, and I'll discuss the table here in a second, but basically, if the roll is successful, you move on to what's called the decisive battle. And the decisive battle is a different from a different set of missions that are supposed to be a little more dramatic. However, if you did not succeed at the roll, you then begin to set up for your second battle. So you say, okay, the campaign's not over. We'll meet again next week and play another game. And then at the end of that one, you roll again. Now, the way you determine if the role is successful is it depends on how many games you've won. If you've won, say, uh, five games and your opponent has won zero, then it's an automatic. The, the campaign is going to be over. However, if you've both won two battles, then you only get it on a six up. So they're waiting for one person to have more of a dis decisive win, and then it moves into the decisive battle. So once one person begins to creep ahead, You've, uh, you've got it. Now, all battles in the campaign are played with the same points total. 
but you can change your army from game to game. So you don't have to keep playing with the same units. And you may change the faction of detachments within your army between battles, but you may not change the allegiance of the army. So for your first battle, you could be playing Ultramarines, the second one playing Iron Hands. But you still have to be loyalist. Uh, and likewise with the Heretics, you can change your, your um, legion, but not your allegiance. And then all battles must be played using the core missions list found on page 150. And the exact mission either randomly determined or just agreed upon by the players. Okay. Now, uh, so I think it recommends like a standard game of, of 3,000 points. But I suppose if you're doing a, uh, a Zone, Zone Martalis, you could do a smaller game, right? What was the points value they recommend for that? Uh, it's anywhere from like 500 all the way up to 3,000. Yeah. I wish I'd been here for that part of the discussion because how similar was it to what we thought would be fun for like a combat patrol small game? Remember a few months ago? That was about it. Yeah. Yeah. One HQ, one troop, and then a lot of flexibility in which you can put together. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So seize the moment roll and then you resolve the decisive battle. So the decisive battle, um, Again, you don't change, but you you select your mission from the Apex missions list. Have you guys discussed the Apex mission, missions yet? No, we only discussed the core missions. Okay. So my concern with this is that if you haven't taken any time to, to read the book or think about what your campaign is going to look like, it's going to feel pretty random. And I'm not sure I like the random nature of how it ends. I would almost prefer to say that we're going to play three games and the fourth is an apex. I'm not sure what you get by doing this thing where you roll a roll, roll at the end of every round to see if the campaign continues. I can see some people getting frustrated with that. If you keep tying, you're trying to get the campaign to end on a six up. I don't foresee a, a, a place where you're, if that keeps happening, you're going to play all the way to the end. I would recommend saying that if you haven't got to the, Apex mission by about the fourth or fifth game, just play the Apex mission. And you'll, rather than get strung along indefinitely on when the campaign ends. And I think having a story set beforehand uh, is helpful, but this isn't really conducive to telling a story unless you've really been thoughtful about what order you're going to play these missions in. What do you guys think? Yeah, this really just seems like a way to spice up your weekly game night, if you're lucky enough to have that. Um, more so than an actual campaign. Uh, the stratagem system is really cool. I think that there's fu- those are fun. I, I know there's one that lets you force uh, an extra turn. So I, I really like that. I think that's a really interesting kind of thing to have. Yeah, I, I like this one that's forced march. The player that has declared the stratagem may shift the boundary of one edge of their deployment zone up to six inches in one direction. So getting a bigger deployment zone or, or smaller, it could be kind of interesting. I, I, I like how that how that works. There's some different ways for bringing in extra units of a certain type. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get into the Apex missions because I thought they were part of the Onslaught campaign, I guess. Yeah, but I, I think you could use them in other games too. I mean, um, they do have some optional rules in here. You do have character casualties. If a player's warlord and or any model with the unique unit subtype are removed as a casualty during the campaign, 
The controlling player must roll a d6 for each such model at the end of the battle. You'll find out if they're mortally wounded, badly hurt, or shaken, unscathed, or hungry for revenge. Now, again, having played campaigns where you have to keep track of character wounds can be unbelievably frustrating. When your opponent gets, say, a, uh, uh, say a, a, a sergeant or a warlord who all of a sudden gets jacked up at the end of a battle and your guy gets killed, it's just not fun. Now, I think it's better to do it in, in a sense where your guys just gain experience. They, they get better in some way or they, they earn a new tactic. Rather than have that risk of losing a guy you've put all of your conversions and basing and paint job onto, is just it's, it just brings the fun out of the game. This is part of some of the old hammer that I didn't like, but maybe you guys have a different thought on that. Yeah, it, it would kind of depend on... I mean, it definitely has the feels-bad factor there that's always a risk. Um, I tend to, to in, kind of enjoy these things more than I dislike them, even when they don't go my way. Um, you know, I, I've seen guys run narrative campaigns and stuff like where they're you know, their praetor would get wounded and they'd get severely wounded and get interred into a dreadnought. And then they have a dreadnought HQ. Stuff like that, I think, is really cool. If it, you know, it's just like, oh, you have this one little extra rule if you did really well, or you could just straight up lose the character. Well, then the upside to downside there, it's uh, it's a little more heavily skewed. Yeah, so like on a, on a one this model may not be used again in any for any further battles and the opposing player gains a bonus of plus one to his seize the moment roll. So now you've, you've lost your, your favorite model on a two to three, he does come back, but he's got one less wound than before on a four to five. He loses a one on his leadership. You know, these are the sorts of things that just don't, it doesn't seem to add anything to the narrative other than making the next game harder on a D six. And there are some modifications like that. to that. No, I don't like that. Um, that's, there's, I mean, five out of the six rolls are down, are directly a downside. And mm-hmm. I don't want to have to play my games where I'm having to be super cagey with my big hero, because that's what they're there for, is to be a big hero. Right. So, you know, if it was like a 2D6... Like, you know, like something like, uh, you know, I just played Middle Earth Battle Companies where it was 2d6, but you could only die on a double one. Right. You know, so. And if, if any of you have played Warhammer long enough, you know how easy it is to roll a one. Because yeah. all your opponent has to say is, I hope you don't roll a one and you'll roll it. I would get really frustrated if like my uh, armistice took a hit and was now down a ballistic skill that that would be really annoying. So I would say, well, how about this work? So I'm, this is an optional rule. No one has to use it, but why don't you post something on your social media? And if it gets, I don't know, 50 likes or something, I'll do a better uh, character wound table for the My community. brother in fandom, we don't get five likes. Okay, five well, likes, and we'll do it. Way to have no confidence in our in our followers there. Come on, Longbeards. You just have to go, go out. Longbeards, Longbeards, listen to me. Huddle in close to your phonograph. You need to go out and buy a cell phone or a tablet 
Go find someone who knows what social media is. Take your finger and pick up a stylus because your your fingers are, are so covered in calluses from the many models that you've painted and use that stylus to click like on one of Warwick's posts on Twitter or where else are you at? On LegionCast18. It's it's just Twitter. I haven't done anything with the Instagram. Okay. Get on that Twitter's and put a like on there and we'll get a better character wound table for the Onslaught campaign. And then you can even have a 30-minute rant about how back in your day, nobody was on the Twitter's. Yeah, and if we don't get those had five, to go to work. And if we don't get those five likes, I will I will issue a grudge. And grudges are serious in this business. You all know this. All right, you heard it here first. All right. Then now so. there, there are some battlefield achievements. If you have a really good battle, you get to again increase your role on that table I mentioned before. And then there's the whole list of the Cathonia campaign. Uh, but that goes more into the fluff stuff, and I didn't get into all that but there's some interesting little missions there that could be we might have to do a whole episode on the lore of this book because it's actually quite good Mm -hmm. um yeah that might be a better place to go through and then tie those missions into it to see how they mm -hmm. how they might play in a certain part so that'd be fun yeah if uh put a tweet out warwick and if we get three likes on it we'll do a chthonia episode okay (laughs) no we gotta shoot high five Five. Okay, five. Because I'm going to do one of them. So I don't have Twitter. I don't have Twitter. It's cancer. So it's gotten a little better. But it's I still, think, yeah, it's still. I bad. think at least like what Ridge said, this is a way to very, very simply get a campaign going. You can create a little bit of history for your army. Get some grudges built up against another another player. It's a great place to start. But then. Go back and look at our hobby roundtable where we talked about more campaigns. Use this as a jumping off point for something a little more in-depth and you'll, you'll have more fun. So I'm curious, Manipole, you know, we being across the country from each other, you know, we might only get a, a, a weekend together to play games, you know, every six months or so. Could we mm-hmm. run a whole Onslaught campaign in a weekend if there were four of us? The problem is because it has a random way of finishing the campaign I, I wouldn't want to risk it yeah. i would do, do like we did last time with the adeptus titanicus campaign add texas titanicus and have those battles already planned out before we got there with a you know one two three or one two three four with a, a big one to finish it off this is the one you're going to be doing if you see play the same guy every weekend you're going to use this to keep the games rolling okay awesome all right. Anything to add on the onslaught campaign? Nope. I'm, I'm glad they put it in here, and clearly they're 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 giving a hint that there are more of these campaign books to come, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely love to see that. Love to see the continued support for the game. All right, um, Warwick, you want to plug some socials, and then we can go ahead and wrap up here. Yeah, why don't you guys shoot us an email that we can respond to at legioncast18 at gmail.com and hit us up on Twitter, legioncast, a horse heresy podcast. All right. Uh, Manipole, Warwick, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everybody. And remember to march in fortune. <laughs>